that it is of no value to demand obedience from your children if you're not pursuing it yourself. And I do not say that in a condescending way. I promise you, obedience is hard for me. I fail and justify often. It's ha- obedience is hard. It's not smart that, it's, that I give into it. It's, you look and you say, what was I thinking? That's so dumb. But it doesn't make it any easier. I just want to reiterate that in our homes, process of of obtaining obedience is as important as the outcome. Many of us as parents, we demand obedience, but we never define it for our children. And we never explain to them the beauty of obedience and the freedom that comes from obedience and the lack of stress that comes from obedience and the enormous affirmation that comes from God when you obey. I know you've all felt it. I know you have all felt it in moments in your Christian life where you did what was hard, where you did what God asked, and you felt the Spirit affirm you. That feeling is only duplicated through obedience. We often don't deal with attitudes so long as we get the outcome. And many parents resort into manipulating their children into obedience because all they're really looking for is just their life to be easier. So I just want to conclude the previous session with a few comments. I'd like to say that we as parents don't train obedience because we haven't been trained. But in most cases, that would be a cop-out. In reality, the reason we are not leading our children through daily spiritual training is because we are in sin. It may be the sin of laziness, that we don't want to do the work to educate ourselves so that we can in turn educate our children. It may be the sin of hypocrisy. We may vent at home about those who we're frustrated with in the political world or in our jobs or rail on political leaders And maybe we don't want to give up the satisfaction that comes from our sin of choice. So we avoid addressing that in our children's lives. So before we get into what do we do at home, here's just a few verses to try to counter some of Satan's temptations. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. After laying out all the Beatitudes, Jesus closes with a really simple summary. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But I promise you, if you're like me, there are times in your life where you don't actually believe that. I don't have to be perfect. God's forgiven me for who I am. He loves me for who I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're supposed to strive to be perfect. And when you get knocked down, you get up and you strive again. And that's tiring. But we can't stop. 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. How should we love other people? As Jesus loved other people. How should we sacrifice? How should we 
delegate our time? How should we, as Jesus did? He left an example that we should follow in his steps. Are you striving to obey Christ at home, or is your home your personal sanctuary where you can take off your Christianity and at least temper it so that it's more comfortable? I do sometimes. I walk in my door and I can put off how much I give when I'm here or at Sunday. I can lie down on that couch. I can get back into my comfort zone a little bit. The phone can ring and I can ignore it even though it's a brother I know I need to talk to because I need to get a little rest and I'll call him back, right? I mean, is your home different than your conviction? What do you watch on television? If you wouldn't watch it with Jesus sitting next to you, then what justification are you using now? Do you spend more time with your children than you do with your own personal entertainment or book or puzzle, television, phone? This one's challenging for me. Do you routinely drive aggressively and boil inside with criticalness and judgment of others around you? Do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Would they be surprised to learn that you are? Are you okay that some of them know? Do you cut corner on your corners on your taxes? Or is it full integrity? Even down to the little things. You go to the restaurant and you order the buffet. Do you then share the dessert with all the kids at the table? Easy to justify. It's a fountain drink. But that doesn't honor God. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect because only then will you feel the affirmation of the spirit patting you on the back saying, well done, well done, well done. Only then do you have that pure joy that comes from knowing I am honoring God by being like his son. Are you really striving for perfection and to be like Jesus or have you settled for a lifestyle that is better than the one society has set its definition of morality on. And so long as you stay a few steps ahead of the world, you can justify your choice to stop pursuing a life that is completely submitted and surrendered to God, emptied before him, poured out for him, in an unadulterated gratitude that comes from your ever-growing love for him. You cannot begin to teach your children biblical obedience. You cannot begin to teach your children the beauty of obedience if you allow these little foxes to run all over the field. If you're demanding obedience but not modeling obedience and or explaining the more beautiful way of biblical obedience, you will have a rebellious teenager, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. The goal, again, is not to keep your child in obedience, but to transfer your child to a place where they will willingly submit to your leadership out of love for your relationship because you've earned that trust. Your rabid pursuit of integrity, 
your rabid pursuit of honoring Christ, your rabid pursuit of doing what's right at home, even when it's goofy, even when it's annoying, it drives a stake of trust into your child's heart. They know that mom and dad are committed and have their back and have God's back. How do we obey Ephesians 6 and avoid exasperating our children? Let's get specific as we start to wind down. Number one, our standard has to be clearly defined. It's very easy for me, for Tammy, to often speak in abstract concepts from our children, and they really don't know what we expect. Here's an example. Do your children know what you expect them to do when you call their name? If they don't, then one day you may get on their case because when you called them, they didn't come to you. But the next day, it's fine if they just say, what, what is, what's up, Dad, from their room? I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying you've got to define what you want from them so that they have something they can do. God does not leave us in the dark. With very young kids, this, this example always makes me laugh, but we often get frustrated because we're in a rush and we say, hurry, hurry, get, ready, get your shoes on, hurry right now. But you never actually showed a child what that means. There was one family that hid candy under a couch and told the kids, in that living room I've hidden candy. Whoever finds it first gets it. You don't have to share. And holy cow, they ripped that room to shreds <laughs> looking for that candy. And when they found the candy, their mom sat them down and said, awesome. And she gave candy to everybody. And then she said, now, here's what I want you to understand. When I say I want you to go candy speed, that's what it looks like. <laughs> you need to define what your expectations look like in every single area for your children, hence you accidentally exasperate them. Number two, you need to be unified with your spouse or other caretakers. You must, before defining the standard for your children, agree on the standard with your spouse. You need to agree with your spouse on what is your expectation when you call your child. When you're giving instructions, do you expect your child to repeat what they heard or not? When our children were very young and we would call their name, and let me just caveat this, this is what we decided to do in our house. There is nothing in the Bible that says it has to be exactly like this. We modeled it after what we saw in Eli, but it, the Bible doesn't say you have to do it just like this. So I just want to make that caveat because you do what works for you. But what we decided is when we called our children's name, we trained them to stop whatever they were doing, come to us, look us in the eyes, and say, yes, Dad, or yes, Mom. And when they were looking us in the eyes, we gave them instruction. And when they were very young, they had to repeat what they heard. Yes, Mom, I'll go put my shoes on. And at first, they even had to come back to us when their shoes were on and say, my shoes are on, Mom, I'm ready. Because we wanted it to be concrete. There was an objective standard that they either met or didn't meet, and any punishment that may come was determined by the child, not by me. 
They either did or didn't meet the standard, and so they brought on themselves any potential consequence. You need to agree with your spouse what that's going to look like. Now, as the children got older, uh, they didn't have to, uh, you know, necessarily repeat the instruction once they were characterized by following the instruction. And when they were characterized by completing the instruction to completion, reliably, with trustworthiness, then they no longer had to come back to us and say, Mom, I finished. They earned those freedoms. But when they started getting lax on that, then we reapplied an earlier standard because they forfeited the freedom they had by their own choice. Right, we didn't have to go look for consequence because the consequence was sort of logical. You're no longer doing what I asked you to do completely with your whole heart, and so from now on, I want you to repeat the instructions again, and I want you to come back and tell me when they're done. But, Dad, that's what you do with little kids. I know. I would love it. I would love it when you show me that you've earned this freedom again. It's not fun for me to have to apply this to you at eight years old and nine years old, but this is what you've chosen. Teamwork. Just because you agree on a form of obedience, you're never going to be perfect. You need your spouse or other people in your life to help keep you on track. You cannot do it alone. Tammy and I have been teaching these things and being discipled on these things for 13 years, and we still give in to emotion, uh, make mistakes, sin against our kids. And when Tammy notices that I am getting frustrated with them and starting to lecture, She'll just gently say, hey, Dave, can I talk to you for just a second? And we'll go in another room, and she'll say, I feel like you're getting frustrated. I just wanted to remind you about, you know, how we agreed to handle these kind of situations. Are you okay with that? Would you like me to help with that? And very gently, with respect, helps me get off the path of sin and back to where I need to be. And often in those situations, I have to go back to my child. And seek their forgiveness and say, you know, what I said to you a few minutes ago was inappropriate. It was out of anger. Will you forgive me? That was wrong. That was a bad example. And I do not want to hurt our relationship. Yes, Dad, I'll for I forgive you. And then there's a big hug. And then I say, okay, now we still need to talk about your behavior. Because you can see, I mean, my behavior was not justified, but you can see the impact it had. Right? It led me to, tempted me with frustration. So I need you to help me understand what was going on in your heart. We need our spouses to help us, but we need our spouses to help us with uh, gentleness and respect and courtesy, understanding that it's just, they're only one day away from the very same sin. <laughs> right? Or a minute. Right. Remember, we are not modeling perfection for our children. We are modeling for our kids how to deal with their imperfections in a manner that honors and obeys God, which includes restoring relationships. And in a couple months, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about how to fully restore relationships. We're going to talk about that. But today, we have got to lay this foundation of obedience. Avoiding bad habits. Parents wrongly train their children by being threatening and repeating parents. The child pretends he doesn't hear in the first place. If you don't have enough repeats of your instruction, now you'll start with the threats. 
Now you go to the, wooden, or to the kitchen and you get the wooden spoon and you hold it as the ultimate threat. And depending on how upset you are, how your voice changes, what your expression reveals, the child may determine that, I think she means it now. And in that situation, your hope for compliance is greater than your will to enforce it. I have been there. That's the threatening, repeating parent. Some parents will use one, two, three, and then at three, here comes the punishment. But here's my question for you. If a child is capable of obeying at three to avoid the punishment, then they are capable of obeying at the original instruction. God doesn't say one, two, three. God said to uh, Saul, wipe them all off the face of the planet that is my plan. And Saul said, I know better. I want different. And I'm honestly a little afraid of these people. So I'm going to come up with a compromise and a justification. And God dropped the hammer. Bribing parents. Uh, that's one who offers a bribe in exchange for a behavior. You go to the grocery store. The last time you were there, your child had some issues. It was a little embarrassing. And so out of desperation, you say, okay, if we have a good day in the grocery store today, I will buy you one of those candies in that aisle at the checkout stand. But all you've really done in that moment is you just raise the stakes for the next time you go to the grocery store. <laughs> right? In Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, it says, Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Don't bribe your children. Now, that doesn't mean that when you get home and your, ch and your children out of obedience, did a good job in the grocery store, and you tell them when it's all done, you say, you know what, I'm just so doggone proud of you today. I want to do something for you to show my appreciation. It's okay to reward your child for good behavior, but do not drop the carrot. Okay? Uh, principles of instruction. How do we communicate our instructions to our children in such a way to make obedience attractive? Well, number one, if you... Speak in a way that requires an answer or an action. You should expect an immediate and complete response. This speaks to parental expectation. When giving instructions, parents should say what they mean and mean what they say. If you want your children to go to bed because it's bedtime, don't say, hey, honey, would you like to go to bed? Because it's not respectful. You've actually asked them a question, which there's no reason they shouldn't interpret that as you're making an offer. <laughs> if you mean for it to be an option, make it an option. But by making it an option when you don't really mean it's an option, that's manipulative. And it's not, it's not we're not displaying integrity. And we're going to exasperate the child. My mom, I love my mom, but my whole life, 
she would say the following phrase, hey, you want to take the trash out? <laughs> I never wanted to take the trash out. <laughs> and when I got to my teen years and was more sassy, I would say, no, I have no interest in that at all. <laughs> and then she'd make me take the trash out. <laughs> then I get married to Tammy and, and we're newlyweds and she says, hey, you want to take the trash out? And I had to say to Tammy, I had to say, okay, we got to have a talk about this. Because this is one of those things that just makes my skin crawl. And I would be happy to serve you and take the trash out. But do me a favor. If you want me to take the trash out, just say, would you please take the trash out? <laughs> Understanding the objective nature of first-time obedience is of great value. And here's what I mean. When parents require the standard, and we talked about this a second ago, when you teach a standard and require the standard, then the child only determines when he or she will be corrected or punished. It's the consistency of God's moral standard that makes obedience subjective since parents don't react arbitrarily. Now, this is hard work. If you have an objective standard then you're going to have to follow through with consequences or punishment when that objective standard is not followed. But I promise you that's easier than being a, someone who parents by emotion. And what I mean by that is today I asked you to get your shoes on and you didn't do it right away, but I was watching football and I'm sort of cool with that, whatever, I'm not in a rush. <laughs> the next day I asked you to put your shoes on, you don't do it right away, and I've had a bad day at work, I'm overtired, I'm running late, and I come down on you like you just shot the dog. Because I'm parenting by my own emotion rather than by an objective standard. That causes our kids to be exasperated. Anything less than your definition of obedience should bring subjective uh, punishment. The child is governed by his parent. In that case, the child is governed by his parents. Sorry, let me get this right. Anything less than expecting them to obey the way that you have defined is subjective. And the child is then governed by his parents' present resolve. And that's what keeps the child in a constant state of conflict, confusion, and insecurity. By nature, children are gamblers. They will take the chance that you will do nothing. <laughs> and if you're inconsistent, you fuel that fire. Consequences are no longer tied to disobedience, but to the mood and whim of a parent at any particular moment. The child is out there wondering, today, I wonder where that line is. And here's the thing. It's not about us. It is about these children as they reach the age of accountability, handing them over to their perfect father, who does have a standard of obedience who does not compromise, who is not human, who does not lie, who does not parent by emotion or whim. You're standing in God's stead for these children. And you need to commit yourself to reflecting him as closely as you can. And when you fail, and you'll fail over and over again, then you seek forgiveness because now you're modeling what an imperfect human is supposed to do when they face imperfection. 
The failure of parents to maintain consistent standards only serves to lure the child into sin by causing him to think that he'll get away with something he probably shouldn't get away with. Now, I have to close up this talking about legalism. You always have to consider the context of a situation before you give consequences. There are times you might not punish for not obeying. Maybe the child is sick and young and a little out of control in the moment, and you decide this is not an appropriate time to bring the corporal punishment in, but you don't pretend the sin didn't happen. You don't ha it's not one or the other. You still need to understand that there might be more training. Maybe you say to your child, look, your behavior right now is not acceptable. I understand how ill you feel. I understand your frustration. I'm going to give you a little bit of space here, but we are going to be working on this. Right? You're still addressing the sin. You're noting it. You're putting a stake in the ground. But you can have the freedom to, to add consequence when it's appropriate and when it's not. Please don't give in to being legalistic. Uh, because legalism, t it, it comes across as easier. I always do this when they do this. But in the end, it's not easier because it embitters the child. One of our kids was not being responsible around the house. Uh, Tammy wrote this, so I'm, I'm speaking on her behalf. But she says, I could have started by lecturing her, but I knew that I needed to find out what was really going on. So after asking a lot of questions and avoiding making assumptions about her behavior, I realized that she was incredibly stressed about school and not getting her work done, and I was piling on with instructions, and it was overwhelming her. So instead of punishing her, we talked about what to do when you're overwhelmed and why she was not coming to me to get input and advice and help. Instead, I helped her to see that she was doing what she thought was best in order to navigate a situation that she hadn't yet been trained on how to navigate. And so in that instance, Emily ended up not being punished. But the sin was not allowed to slide, right? It was addressed. It was addressed in a loving way that took context into account. Always consider the age of your child and how much training have you done with them? What's going on in their life? For little children, are they overtired, overstimulated, hungry? These all affect obedience. We don't make excuses for disobedience like Saul did, but we do seek to understand and train our children based on our understanding of what they're going through. And always consider any special needs of your child. We were talking with a couple who has uh, a special needs child, and when they were teaching obedience at first, they had to just, they had to agree that we just need our child to look anywhere on our face. That's what they can handle right now. And they did, and they were affirmed and, and uh, encouraged for that. And over time, they were able to look their mom and dad directly in the eye. We have to avoid legalism. We have to work with our spouses to figure out what works. How do we teach biblical obedience? One, pray for wisdom, unity, consistency every day. This is an area in which we all need God's help daily. You must pray daily for obedience in your life as well as your children's lives. Plan. Decide on what obedience will look like in your home. We will be sending through your mentor group leaders a, a detail on how can you teach obedience. Fill in how you want it to look. Here's how you can teach it, how you can role play it. 
How often should you role play it before you expect the behavior, depending on the age? We'll send that out. There's also a wonderful book called Why Won't My Children Obey? And if you're like me, you'll really love the book because it's only about that thin. It's paperback and large font, but it's really a good book. Um, make obedience concrete, like we talked about, what to do when you call their name, what to do after they get instruction. Um, set a consistent time to train your children. I just want to reiterate, when we studied and looked at, um, oh, goodness, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it talks about train your child when you walk along the road, when you're at home, when you're this, when you're that, when you're this, when you're that. And we talked about the one theme in every one of those scenarios was that God encourages us to train in times of non-conflict. That means you have to carve time out of your extremely busy and urgent schedule to first live up to the role that God gave you when he gave you a child to bring to him. Okay, telling your children what to do is not training them. God says, train your child over and over and over in the Bible. He never says, lecture your child. Apologize if needed. If old enough, explain to your children the change you're going to make and the expectation that you're going to implement. Uh, if you haven't been calling them to a standard, you know, and your child is old enough, then take the time with them to say, you know, your mom and I, we realize that we just have not had a biblical standard of what obedience should look like here. And so we're going to repent of that. This is what your mom and I have determined this is going to look like. This is the biblical rationale for it. Apologize to them and then hold them to it. Train them in it and hold them to it. And when your child won't obey, and we are going to talk about this over the next couple months, but when they won't obey, always bring it back to the relationship. Do they trust you? If not, why? And be prepared to hear some pretty uh, challenging things. It may be because of your behavior or your lack of integrity. I don't know. But draw them out. Ask them questions. Ask them, do, don't you think I'm on your side here? Do, do you believe I'm on your side here? Do you think I want to help you or hurt you? Do you think God has the best plan in mind for you? Dig deep. The heart is deep water, so pray with your child. Draw your child out. So what have we learned in summation? Your level of obedience is a direct reflection of how you feel about God. And, and that's an oscillating curve for all humans. We're challenged. When we think we're doing great, God allows us to endure a deeper challenge so it can deepen our relationship with him. But your obedience is a reflection on how you feel about him. Your child's obedience is a direct reflection of their relationship and how they feel about you. If we are not serious about implementing biblical obedience, then our children won't think God is serious about it either. We want and need our kids to trust us because we know better. We really do know better. And we want it to go well with them. And so does God. We all have the spirit of God and therefore we have the ability to exercise self-control, to say no to ungodliness and to be obedient. We have it within us. You're no different than a biblical prophet. In fact, some may argue that you may have it easier because you have the spirit. You can be obedient. You can 
be like Jesus in an ever-increasing way. Obedience is how we show God honor, love, humility, gratitude, and so much more. It's by obeying. I hope this has been helpful to you guys. Uh, this is a... This is the hardest thing in Tammy and my life. It's the hardest thing, obeying God in everything. It's the hardest thing, but you can do it. You can teach it to your kids. We're going to talk about it in our mentor groups. Please uh, look over these notes in your quiet time. Come prepared to discuss it with your mentor leaders. And guys, thank you so much for honoring me with your time. I really appreciate it. <laughs>